Come on, let's go. Come on. Let's go. With Mario. Mario, what you talking about? What's going on, guys? Uh, I don't know if you guys were able to get off work and go out hunting today. I know these two cats over here did. Um, we sure did. Yeah. But a little warm, but they still got into them a little bit, so that's good. Hey. What do you think of this morning? Uh, any day you're not, any day you're not in the uh, in the office. And you're in the field, like I'm all I'm all good. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. We do a little bird watching and had fun with the ducks. Yeah, we had a couple. Saw a couple close. We got a, er, Earl Todd over here. Long time no see. Hey Earl, what's up, buddy? Yeah. yeah. Earl Oregon checking in. Yeah. I want to see who's uh, who's going to check in from New Zealand if I know him, because you guys have been getting so many from New Zealand it all the time. Owen Miller. Owen Miller. I don't. I don't know if I know Owen Miller. I've been down there twice, know a bunch of people down there, great people. I love it down there. I love the guys at Hunting Fishing New Zealand and all those cats down there. My buddy Jeff the Killer Irvine. Yeah. 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 What's the time hey, zone there right now? How, how many hours? Oh, my God. Let's see what it is. I'll, well, they're in a different hemisphere, so. Oh, yeah. Uh... It's twelve oh eight p.m. It's p.m. It's midnight. Yeah. Or no, it's no, it's lunch. It's high noon. It's lunch. It's high oh, noon. Perfect time. Yeah. I'm tune in. Yeah. It's eleven p.m. in Iceland. In Iceland. Yeah, the Viking. If he see if he's uh listening. All right, we got no birds left in Michigan. Some guys are still waiting on birds. They say from Canada. What? <clears throat> and the next guy was love your giveaways. So. Um, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, so we're going to keep doing it. We're doing a live podcast here. Um, it's recorded, and we're doing it live on Facebook, and uh, we'll post it on YouTube after this. But uh, cool. if you guys don't know, we have Mario Friendy here with F.A. He stopped by for some meetings, and we have F.A.'s live series mallards decoy carver pat godden here with mario hanging out oh, you gotta hunting. get you gotta give him a better intro than that we're yeah. talking about 17 time world carving champion four different categories well that's just the world wins you have a bunch of other wins i'm gonna talk you up right now pats because because i know you're not going to do it so you know you're you're as you're as humble and as nice as they come and your work is incredible so uh and you do incredible work for us well it's been a huge part of my life yeah. going back well 40 45 years carving birds see chandler chandler didn't get to listen to the 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 awesome history this morning of pat so i'm gonna just let you just well ne neither did the listeners well that's what i'm saying so so well yeah. well we're gonna do some youtube stuff off of that stuff this morning but i'm telling you it's so i'm just gonna let pat run with it so you started what what age when you started carving pat and it was fishing lures first yeah or? yeah i was 11 years old when i carved uh fishing lures out of wood painted them up and took them down to the local river and actually caught fish on them and then uh what fish what were you well uh you targeting? smallmouth bass northern pike uh those were the fish we always uh went for and around that area and then your first duck was yeah when? my first duck um when i was 15 years old 1968 um was only last year it was 50 years since i made that first decoy yeah. 2018 yeah and uh then, How old were you then? Well, I would have been 15. 15. And that's that's the age when I could legally hunt in in, in Ontario. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, that kind of uh, 
inspired me. I found a book in the library on how to carve duck decoys and uh, started doing it. Um, then made a few hunting decoys after that. Then in the early 70s, like 73, I made my first competition decoy. Um, yeah, but this is the part that blows me away. You did your first bird in what, 68? 68, yes. Okay, uh, and then, so five years later in 73... You enter your first champ. You enter your first competition. Competition. Yeah. So that's five years later. Then, seventy-seven. Seventy-six. Seventy-six, which is only set with two, four, seventy-six. So eight years later, right? Yeah. Yeah. You win your first championship. First world championship. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years after starting. Yeah, and. The learning three, curve three, there, buddy. Three is, years after I started making the competition decoys. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so the, the other thing I was thinking of this morning when you were talking is, has anybody done it faster from starting carving, or I should say from entering to winning a world championship? Uh, no I, idea. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I, that's three yeah. years we're talking. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, I guess the other thing, okay, I I won that first world championship with a pair of uh, common golden eyes. And 40 years later, in um, well, 2016, I won another world championship with a pair of golden eyes. 40 years later. In the same category, the, the world championship decorative decoy pairs, which is a drake and a hen of the species. Yeah, the only, so the only... Um, the only category Pat hasn't won in is an interpretive category, which really you said is not really much waterfowl at all. It's all. It could be waterfowl, but, but more likely is. you see other kinds of right. birds. Right. Gotcha. So, so we're not going to penalize them for not winning that <laughs> one. So, <laughs> so, so what? What think? What? Uh, what got you to get really good at this carving? I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of. A lot of late nights, or just doing it over and over again. Well, or? I'll tell you, I'll tell you more than anything. It's the passion I had for the birds, and just knowing that in the back of my mind, I could make these wooden carvings and replicas of that of those live birds and make them look alive. And um, I was confident I could do that. And um, I was, I'd always been since I was really young really good with my hands, making things and um, everything from the fishing lures and even before that. So, uh, so much of what I do hinges on knowing the bird uh, from inside out. The anatomy of the bird, the, uh, the, the colors of the bird, the, the behavior of the bird, the character of the bird. And that's what I put in my carvings. Gotcha. Yeah, and you had all. You, did you have access to all the the tool work or all the machines and stuff like that? Or no, it's well, all, it's most. It started off all hand, right? Well, yeah. At the beginning, it was little carving knives and uh, sometimes a rasp, where I would, you know, sh- start to shape a little bit with a rasp. Uh, we didn't have power tools in those days, and I use some power tools now. And uh, and and then of course I had to learn how to paint. Almost from scratch. I had nobody to teach me how to paint, but I kind of figured it out. Um, And and through the years, and even to this day, I do things. You know, what? uh, How many years later? um, I I still learn things, uh, new things as I'm painting. I'm trying different things to bring my work to a higher level. So. So a lot of listeners probably don't know, and I don't know it's a ton, but what's all these categories in these carving competitions, and what's that like? Uh, I've personally never been to one. I don't know if everybody's been to one either. Uh, have you been? You've been to a few of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Pat will tell you the four, the four that he's won are are the majority of the. I mean, that's the waterfowl based ones. The other ones, like he said, interpretive. It could be a waterfowl, but he can go through and kind of explain a little bit about each category. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. The other interesting thing is you go even to the, a, car, a competition like the World Championship and there's a lot of carvers are intimidated thinking, well, I can't compete at the World Show. But they have categories there from everything from the 
the beginning rank novice all the way up through to world level. So anybody can go there and compete at the level that they feel comfortable with. Um, and then within the show, they'll have um, they'll have a number of categories that primarily deal with decoy style birds. Everything from, from everything from extreme decoratively finished birds with the most finest detail you can imagine on them that take weeks and months to make to the very simple uh, really true hunting decoys and everything in between. So those are all lots of categories that deal with waterfowl and then they have categories that deal with uh, you know you could make any kind of bird in the world uh, any species of bird in the world and bring it there and compete. There'd be a pr category a, where you could you compete it. Um, so, so your your category, so so there's gunning, right? Y yeah, there's a gunning decoy category. Which is, which is like you said, uh, y you know, we talk about it, is, is your hunting style, but another level up as far as detail. Yeah. Well, they have, they actually do have a, what you call a true gunning style category. And then they have a next level up where they allow you to do more elaborate painting. Um, then they have another level where uh, they expect the bird to be a little bit more decorative and more animated with really refined paint. And then they have the full decorative categories where you're um, rendering the most finest detail you can imagine using everything from little grindstones to uh, very finely edged wood burning tools. And then of course the paint, uh, some of the brushes I use, little tiny, tiny brush, like a size one brush, you know, you they're- You barely see it. Yeah, and, the, and those brushes are, are worth like 25 to $30 for, for one of those little brushes. But when you think of the fine detail I do, I kind of need those brushes and- right to do the, that kind of fine work. Yeah, because that, that highest category, like you talk about, you're talking about the, the ultimate in carving detail, on, and then on top of it, the ultimate in paint detail. Absolutely. I mean, it and is then, the, the and top then also at of the, everything. At the more decorative level of carving the decoy, you also see a little bit more animation, sometimes extreme animation, the bird's preening, maybe, maybe the wing is out, exposed, uh, and and a lot of maybe undercut feathers to make that bird look like it's... Um, extreme uh, it's, poses. Yeah, extreme poses, yeah. yeah. And that's where a lot of the creativity comes for the, uh, uh, the decorative carver to come up and find things that are uh, an idea or a concept that's a little unique that nobody's really explored. And uh, so, you know, that's, it, it gets to the point where you master all the technical things. The big challenge is finding these really interesting, unique ideas that you can incorporate in a, in a three-dimensional sculpture like that. I mean, we're still, I mean, I mean, these are yours here. We're still, we're still playing catch up, trying to, trying to paint them as best we can because <laughs> the carving is so incredible and and trying to do a reproduction and trying to get it you know as close as we can to to what you envision you know that's the that's the thing that i wrestle with my in my life is well, of course is yeah. trying to make you you know feel proud about what's what comes back because the you know we get the carving and then we we get it to you know we get it to the factory we work on it we work on the paint scheme and everything else and we're just trying to get it to obviously where the customer's happy and going man look at that decoy but in the back of my mind i i, I got you in mind the whole time <laughs> well it's mass yeah mass produced decoy we gotta yeah well i won't uh I'll never be angry at you. For well, I know that, not, but I, you're not that I know guy. You're but doing, I'm doing you're it. doing the best job you can. <laughs> and there's always compromises when you have to right, mass right. produce a product. Of course. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certain things. Uh, there's certain things in some of the carvings. There's certain things in in you know paint. What we could do in the steps and 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 the level. I mean, listen. There's not, you know, there isn't five guys at the factory that can paint like you. There's not the five of them couldn't 
compete against you. They can all get together and try to gang up on you. Like nobody can paint like you over there or, or any of the carvers. It's it's tough to find great painters. But, we're, you know, listen, we're doing all we can. Some of them are catching up. Yeah. And I, and I, t- I do some teaching. And I run seminars, and I I show them all my little tricks, <laughs> and, and some yeah. of them, yeah, some of them catch on to it. Yeah. yeah. So is Goldeneye your favorite to carve and, and sculpt and create, or uh, is it just you got I'll two wins you, with that one? I'll tell you what. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what it inspired me. Um, initially, my, I I really really loved Goldeneyes because it was a bird really common in the area that that we. Uh, we hunted when I was younger, uh, on the, like late, late in the season, December, uh, you know, almost everything's frozen up except the river and the golden eyes love the river. So we did a lot of hunting on the local river, the, the grand river in Southern Ontario. And, uh, so it was almost when we, when we harvested a, a golden eye, it was, it was almost like a trophy. Like those birds are so beautiful, and the those pure, beautiful whites contrasting oh, with that velvety black. And it's then that, snow white. And that iridescent green head, and it was such a such a cool bird. Um, and the the second championship I won forty years later were with Barrow's Golden Eyes, right. and that's a species that I don't have in my area, but I did enough research and really figured that bird out and. Uh, uh, that that is also, a, you know, it, it's, it's clearly looks similar to the common goldeneye, but has very distinct differences too. And that is also a beautiful bird. Oh yeah, yeah. You get that bright purple, purplish in the black on the head. Mm-hmm. I'll throw one at you, Mario. Look over here. What are you gonna throw me? No, that's oh, stuff. Oh yeah, that's these, are, these are some from <laughs> well, my okay, so, website. Okay, so just like we were talking about, so look at that widgeon in the middle there, right? Yeah, that scolding widgeon. That's like an extreme. That's like yeah, that's what Pat's a, talking about, right? That's a full decorative bird. And right. If you, if if we could see that up really close, every feather barb on each of those feathers is etched in with the wood burning tool, and then the the paint is just really exceptionally refined. The other thing I do on those birds is um, I do it on almost everything. Uh, I, I, a lot of my painting, I, I paint like an artist does in, on a two-dimensional surface like a canvas. They create the illusion of a three-dimensional object by using the feeling of light falling on the surface of the object, whatever the, whether it's an animal or something else they're painting. They create the illusion of three dimensions on a two-dimensional surface. I do a similar thing on that. I paint the feeling of light on the surface to make it look like the light is reflecting off the surface and also painting shadow to enhance the dimensions. I even do that on some of my simpler birds. Rather than worry an awful lot about extreme detail, I I concentrate a lot on getting that feeling of light falling on the surface of the, of the bird that widgeon's sick that's that's one of my favorite i mean pintail and widgeon there incredible absolutely i mean listen i'm not taking away from the wood duck but the widgeon and the pintail is what i chase the most so those are my favorites i'll just go ahead and jump into this one too no oh, i just i just grabbed oh, yeah. i just grabbed oh, a few more yeah. um the king eider and there's just a good yeah the hit. king eider is a uh that's that's such a spectacular bird and it's a a bird i've I've never seen in the wild, but I've seen it in aviaries. Right. And um, you really have to you have to go to the right place if you're if you're hunting uh, king eiders. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I picked the ones on the right because they look like some crazy mergansers. Oh yeah, and the, the head detail. The red-breasted well, mergansers. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, you got to look at the mergansers and you got to understand that whole head. That's all wood. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what people need to understand. That is, you know, that flare coming off. That's wood. Like if you screw that that deal up, like, like, oh my God, it's, that's why I said the detail and the, oh my God. It's uh, cool to look at. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. It is a cool bird. Hey, look at Owen Miller's 
He said, <laughs> he said, add a bit of black onto the back to mimic our mixed breed mallards. Absolutely, the gray ducks and the mallards there, Owen. Don't worry, I got something coming for you, bro. Mixed breed mallards, yeah. Yeah, well, they have a gray duck. about hybrids, uh, mallard yeah, they, hybridizing with something else? They got a gray duck down there that is very similar to a hen mallard, uh, but it's more of a gray base mm -hmm. than a brown base. And uh, they do interbreed with the mallards down there. Uh, the mallards and the grays are kings down there. So it's almost like our black ducks here. Sure. You know, they, uh, and you can, it, it's hard to tell the hybrids there or the, the mixed breeding there unless you really see some features. You know, it's kind of like the sure. blacks here. You, you really got to look at some fine detail, but it's, they got some cool birds down there. That's a, that's an awesome place. What else they got going on there? Yeah, I wish I could get that pintail. You got to dig deep for that pintail if you want something <laughs> like that. Listen, you if you got the change, you could call Pat and he'll make you something. But uh, you better you're gonna have to break a couple piggy banks and uh, be ready for it. Uh, so this uh, somebody's asking, Landon's asking the FA Gunners and the Live Series. So the Live Series are the new ones. That's these, and the Gunners are just the older style. He wants to know what the difference is. The Gunners are just the older style. Uh, uh, to be honest, like the old gunner style, like if you're hunting big water, big rivers, uh, those are like a really thick, wide decoy. And I actually like those on the river uh, for the width and the way they ride. Uh, and th th it just says blemish because they're older. We're just discounting them and trying to get through the old inventory because we just got some and we yeah, got new cool stuff coming. So four years, three, four years out of production? Yeah. Yeah. So the live series are current, you know, just updated lots of things and stuff the gunners are just yeah. a little bit older model but yeah and and listen it's a older it's older carving it's older everything so yeah it's not as updated as as pat's stuff and and pat's work but you know but still a good deco man we were blowing them out on price wise so yeah. you can still get some deals so go <laughs> gotcha um what else were we talking about this morning pat we, we're gonna have a really good video on YouTube and whenever we get it done, uh, Pat went through some incredible um, details about truly telling uh, a, a young bird, an immature mallard to a mature mallard. Just some incredible stuff. And we went through, and we actually finally shot one, huh? Yeah, an immature, yeah. like we were shooting mature birds, we mature, and, and, them. and Pat's going, oh, yeah, 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 but I can't really show the other thing. And then we had one or two come in, and one was immature. So we're going to have a YouTube video. We're going to have that up on the FA page. It was, I'm telling you, it is killer. If if you want to know a lot about mallards and, and stuff like that, that video is really cool and um you know a thing to note on pat he could you know he could tell you but but pat has a pat has a degree in mallards well yeah i, well, <laughs> I mean really my 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 bachelor of science degree was in fisheries and wildlife biology but then when i did my master's my first degree was like four-year program specializing in uh fisheries and wildlife and then my master's degree I actually did research on uh, mallard ecology in a series of wetlands in southern Ontario. So that was kind of my, the bird that I, I spent so much time uh, studying at that time. And then I wrote my thesis on it, and it's parts of that thesis were actually published in some scientific journals. So a lot of this stuff that I was talking about as far as aging the bird, right. um, you know, th that's all stuff that I I learned during my time at university when I was getting my degrees plus my own my own um, curiosity in learning about these things that's why Pat does our mallards yeah he's Mario's got, like uh, I need a guy to make some mallards I mean it, oh he's got a master's get a he's got a PhD <laughs> in mallards like who else do you ask you know what I'm saying like like let's not be silly yeah like you know I got a PhD in running my mouth is about it so yeah. that's all that's why that's what I do yeah yeah well the interesting <laughs> thing when I f finished my uh, master's degree that's when I made a decision to to carve birds full-time um, and so I can truly say carving ducks and other birds has been the only full-time job I've ever had. 
Yeah, so you've never worked a day in your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of true because well, uh, it's listen, it's yeah, it's time and it's your passion, and, yeah. and we always, we always go back to that. We always go back to that. Actually, my daughter, so my daughter's in volleyball. So look at this, Pat. So it says, "Never lose your passion for the game." You know what I'm saying? And that's the same. And that that's how I feel about waterfowl. And I stole the I stole it from her because I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's exactly. But that's what we go back to. You talk about why do you do this? Why have you done this so long? Because that's your passion. That's what you. That's what you love to do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I still yeah after, well, it was nineteen when I graduated, nineteen seventy nine. That's when I started carving birds full time and. All those years, well, 79, how, how long is that? Is that? 30. 30? It's more than that. 40. Sorry, 40. Is it more than that, maybe? It's 40. Yeah, 40 years. That's how long I made my living at it. And I still, to this very day, when I get in there and I, I'm working on a bird, I still get that passion and feeling to make, make that bird look alive. And Well, you know, okay, so you talk about that. So it's like... How many times have you done a mallard? Do you know what I mean? And and each time, like if I said, "Hey, hey, Pat, let's do let's do a new mallard," you know what I mean? You've done how many mallards? And then you're still going to go in there and attack it like you've never done it before. Yeah, well, you know I, what I mean. That's passion. As many times as I've done a mallard or a pintail, or you know, I've done some of those species many times over. When I start a new one, I go back and look at my original reference of the live bird. Because sometimes I think, well, I might see it a little bit different. There might be something there that um, maybe maybe is unique I haven't done before, and I can look at that live bird and I. So, you know, I'm not from one pintail or mallard to the next. I'm not duplicating that same right, design. I'm right. coming up with something new and original and unique. Live bird reference. The live birds never. Never lie. That's what you go by, you know. What uh, uh, what's the bird? Waterfowl speaking. What's the bird that means the most to you? Which species? Uh, we're talking about waterfowl. Because I know we talked about the golden eye yes. and, and the championships, but what? Yes. What is that the bird or is it another bird? Uh. I I have I've got a few birds that I kind of would put at the same level. Pintails are, you know, that's such a a bird that works so great from an artistic perspective. Right. Uh, and I've I've done a number of them with really complex designs, and you can really take advantage of those uh, those feather shapes that are so beautiful and the. Um, uh, a lot of the graceful lines in the color scheme and and really do something great with that bird. So that's been one bird that I've really liked a lot. Uh, and you've seen pictures of those red-breast mergansers. I think that is, people don't really they don't care put them if up they there. shoot them or, right. you know, it's not a bird you want to eat. But it, it's such a, um, such a, to me, a really dramatic bird. And uh, that's been a bird that I've always really, really liked doing. Well, and now, you know, you're, you know, this is this is the cool thing that, that you know, you always learn something as you go and talk to people or whatever, but your father-in-law was a carver. Yes. So your wife's father. Yes. Like, how crazy is that, that, that you would marry someone whose dad was a carver and, yeah. a, and a very good yeah he was <laughs> accomplished a, it, yeah. incredible carver yeah that was uh jimmy vizier from uh, southern louisiana cajun cajun uh family and he uh uh he carved birds decoys he watched his father and his uncle carve decoys they carved hunting decoys for hunting right yeah they they you know, hunting was big in those days not and to a great degree when they hunted in southern louisiana at, at, at that time they were hunting for food yeah it wasn't a sport for them right. because they were living off the land right. much like they would harvest shrimp and fish and uh, lots of other game. right in that mar coastal marsh yes, right? but they needed decoys in those marshes and 
when they hunted ducks. And uh, so he watched his, uh, actually, um, Jimmy and his father and uncle carved, and then their f uh, um, their father carved. So there was like three generations that wow. carved decoys in southern Louisiana. And uh, one of Jimmy's favorite birds to carve was the pintail, um, because he he f um, hunted them a lot. And uh, uh, he he competed in the competitions uh, with pintails yeah. a, a lot. And um, in fact, the uh, the world championship shooting rig when Jimmy passed away, they named that in honor of him. It's called the Jimmy Vizio Memorial Award. It's a world level, so that's a, that's a huge honor. And uh, I went. What year was it? In 2018, I decided to, to make a, a world shooting rig uh, f for the competition of pintails, and ended up winning with them. And so that was kind know, of a was hat tip to him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, to win the Jimmy Vizier Memorial Award with pintails, and pintails had never won before. Is that, that right? Category? Yeah, it was the first time. And uh, so, so that was just uh, probably one of the the most e emotional wins that I've ever had because of that. And uh, the interesting thing is, when they present the award from uh, those awards that have been named after somebody, and there's a number of them at the World Show, they usually have the, someone in the family representing the family to present the award. So I had uh, my my wife and children up on the stage to present the award to me for the for the world championship. It, if I hadn't won it, they would have had to give it to somebody else. But <laughs> yeah, so that that was that was really neat. Yes. Well, I mean that's I mean Jimmy's uh, his pintail book was the that was the that was the first book I picked up when I got to carving and I wanted to do a pintail, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't near touching your patterns yet. So I was, I was on Jimmy's book. I got to yours later, but, but that was the first book that I, sure. that I did, which yeah. was a great book. Yeah. And, and just, and, and, and you know what, his detail in the book on what to do, it was yeah. very, it was for a common man, I guess. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. I was reading it and going through it, and I was like, "Okay, I can, I can do this." It was yeah. written in real words, I guess. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. it was. So it was, it was, yeah. it was awesome. And yeah. I, I have that book. I have a couple of your pattern books, which you know you have. That's what people don't understand. Well, not, not, I don't know if they don't understand, but they need to know. Like you have pattern books. You do seminars. Like, like this is without a doubt your life. You are in it. As long as I can remember, ducks have been involved in my life. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. That's what we all strive yeah. to do. So when was the first competition for all this carving? The actual, that the 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 word the world championship. That or maybe like, where, do you hear about when they started happening? Well, they, as far they had competitions before the world started, but this upcoming year, uh, 2020 is the 50th anniversary for the World Show. So it would have been 1950 would have been yeah. your first. Or what did you well, say, no. 50 years? 50 70. Years. Okay, yeah, 70. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, but I don't know all the history about it, but apparently there were some competitions for decoys going back a lot earlier than that. that like into the, I think into the 50s and, and maybe even earlier. Um, and th these are all, you know, Hunting decoys. It hadn't evolved into the more decorative decoys at the time. These were competitions for hunting decoys. Right. And there isn't much history written about that. So, you know, I'd, I'm i always kind of thinking about it. It'd be interesting for somebody to research that. And, and come up with all that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you were talking about, I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but you're you're working on a book as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm in... I'm in the writing stage right now, and it's going to be a biographical right. uh, book, and it'll cover a lot about my inspiration and a lot of a lot of the thoughts on how I approach my work. And uh, there'll be a few technical things in there, but it's not a technical book. Right. But you know, I inevitably with something that is a very 
make say a very technical art form right. you kind of have to talk a little bit about that at times because you know people reading a book like that are really curious about it there's no doubt i mean you're not you're not getting that book unless you're extremely interested and in, and yeah. you know are into it yeah and and uh, actually i also want to get it a lot into like a lot of my inspiration is the bird Oh, most of it, it comes from the bird, my passion for the bird. But also, um, uh, lo you know, all the, the, the technical things as well and uh, the science behind the bird. Right. Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that everything I do has a, a firm scientific background to it or basis behind what I'm doing. And so my book deals a lot with, and I've been, you know, as I'm writing, I'm including a lot of the things uh, uh, that inspire me related to the science of the bird. And I, I kind of think I've got that, got of that background to right. make well, uh, sure. credible comment, commentation, uh, comment, uh, comments on that, um, that part of, of the carving that I do. And, and the, you know, the thing that comes through, uh, and I've talked about this before, is, uh, you know, there's a lot of carvers that can carve just about anything. If you if you live in an area where you maybe don't get a widgeon, I know you can carve a widgeon. There's no doubt there's guys that can, world champion carvers that can carve that widgeon. But the thing that I always go to is, do you nail the attitude of that bird? You know what I mean? There's a there's just something else that goes into it yeah. Yeah. that just hits it over yeah. the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're absolutely right. There's uh and that that's something where if I if I'm doing a bird, I haven't done a lot of those that species or maybe I've never done that species. I really, really study the bird to try to catch the character of that bird. And a lot of times, like uh, these, even these more decorative decoys I do, uh, when they judge them, they're actually put in a tank of water. So they have to float like a live bird. That's the Yeah, that's you just the real can't make standard. a mantelpiece. <laughs> that's the real standard. They have to look like a live bird on the water. Even though I, I'm maybe, if I've spent two months doing all this intricate detail, they still have to float like a live bird. And some birds, um, if you look at them, they they float different on the water. You look at a, a widgeon to me as a real buoyant bird. You look at a merganser, they have a real low profile, so they sit low in the water. So th those things that are things that I really look for when I'm trying to capture that character. Even sometimes the angle of the bill uh, is a little different from one species to the other. So I'm, I'm looking at those things as well. Yeah, there's a, there's always something. There's like a tell. There's always something. There's a couple things, you know, like you said uh, about the widgeon and stuff like that. And, and like the widgeon that we, we had up earlier on the, you know, that's that's attitude. That's all attitude. Oh, yeah. That's sassy, yeah. you know, when they're, you know, when there's a flock of, when there's a flock of anything on the water and widgeon are around, if if they're pulling up food or grass or whatever, the widgeon are always there to be the little thieves and steal it. You know what I mean? They're just, you know, they're just like that. So that's what I mean. They they all have some kind of some kind of character to them. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. That that's uh, that's ranks among my favorite one of my favorite ducks too. That widgeon. There's like you said. There's so much you could do. There's such a, uh, I don't even. There's such a. Com I don't want to say comical, but there's so much. They they do so much. They have so much flair. I guess you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you had commented the other day that that you occasionally see the Eurasian widgeon. We we will like through the through the I five corridor when you're coming down through Washington and Oregon. Washington gets more than than we do, but um, coming through that slot, we will see them. I actually I saw one last week and I had them on the camera, but I had them on the camera about six landed just off to the left of the boat, like uh, I don't know thirty thirty five yards, and you know obviously I'm not going to shoot them on the water, but a boat came down and spooked them all up and and they all came out and it was me and my buddy and i i went through every one of them there was there were seven i went 
one, two, three, four, and I could not find that sucker. I was so, I just like, I didn't even shoot then. My buddy dropped the Drake and I didn't even shoot because I was, I was so like, I just like slumped at my waiters. Like, <laughs> like I was like, crap. Because yeah. I had the camera, I had it up and I was snapping pictures and I got them and you saw the pictures. Yeah. He, yeah. It was good color and everything. And. He skated on by. That would have been a trophy for you. So I was, <laughs> you know, put my face in my mashed potatoes. That was it. I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of crapped out on that one. So, uh, and we got, you know, we got more projects coming up for Pat and some mallards. We got some stuff in the can, so there'll be more stuff coming. So, you know, you're going to see Pat around Final Approach for, for a while. Uh, if he'll put up with us, we, you know. We, we, uh, man, I love it. I love it. My buddy Don at home is a huge fan. And I, he called me last night when we were in the car going up the duck camp in the truck. He said, what are you doing? I said, uh, I said, oh, I'm not, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? Now, now this is Don, this is Don Guthrie. Don started Columbia river decoys. Don, Don carved all of them. And then I helped him Take, I, I helped them do the company. I helped them like transition it. Then I started doing it and then I carved a couple birds, but Don was really the start. And to be honest, as far as, as far as, uh, commercial birds and selling birds and detail and everything, Don was 20 years ahead of everybody else. Easy. Uh, do you remember a guy named Hooker who was doing decoys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so so Don saw th those hookers, and Don was like, oh, I think I could make a better hooker and something like that. And that kind of inspired him to, to do some carvings because when you hunted those hooker-style decoys, did you ever hunt them or no? I never hunted them. So, so the, the hooker-style decoys were, uh, were hollow under here. And then they had a big, long keel in the middle, and it came out just about as much as this, but this was all hollow. But they were real narrow. So when you hunted them in any kind of chop or weather, they always tipped over. Yeah. So you almost needed a wider base. So that started Don. So uh, so when he called me last night, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm not, I'm not telling you. He's like, what do you mean you're not telling me? What are you doing? I said, I'm in the I'm in the truck. I'm in the truck. We're heading to duck camp. Oh, who's in the truck? I said, I'm not telling you. <laughs> he said, he said, uh Who's who's with you? I said, uh, I'm with Pat Godden. <laughs> and he, you hear nothing. And he's like, oh, you lucky dog. <laughs> so, oh, man, he was like, he did say, like, yeah, Don's a nice guy in the world. Don's like, oh, my God. He's like, oh, he's like, I'm so happy for you. He's like, that's so cool. So, yeah, Don, out, out of all the guys, and Don's a big-time carver, was a woodworker forever and uh, a house builder. You and Tom Christie. That's all he talks oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... So Tom's, Tom's Bluebills, that's what he loved. Oh, but Tom does great Bluebills. Oh, he does great Bluebills. And, and yeah, so, so, he's, so he's all into it. So I'm living a little bit for, for Don right now. <laughs> gotcha. So, so, Pat, you've seen the decoy market. You've seen some decoys on the market change a lot through the years. Um I mean, could you talk about the first time you started seeing commercially produced decoys and and using them in the field and stuff? And, and yeah, I I can remember that when I was well, I was probably 15 years old when I could first time I could hunt. I went and bought uh, these two. I think only two, maybe three, hard plastic Victor decoys, and uh, that's oh that's yeah, the, yeah, the ones that had the. Uh, they had a cross, cross on the bottom. Yeah, that's exactly the decoy. Did you have Did you have the mallards, or what did you find? They were They were mallards. My yeah. dad's got a. My dad has a couple. He has a black duck, and a mallard drake. I think is what he has yeah. at the house. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah. 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 Have you ever seen him? I don't think I've seen that oh, one. Oh my god, there's that style. Uh, it's a cool. Go ahead. Yeah. Well. Uh, there were there were not too many decoys available at the time that and of course I wasn't going to travel a long way to try to find decoys because I I couldn't even drive a car at that point <laughs> so anyway I I bought those uh, I think I like I said I think it was three decoys and that uh, and then uh, well there was qu uh, at one point there was quite a 
quite an evolution in uh, in decoys, and eventually the, the the plastic market really took off, and um, there was a number of companies that came out with. Uh, well, at one point they they became more realistic. Yes. Yes. Um, and so some of the the product development people were recruiting, you know, really talented carvers to start mm -hmm. to make the models for these things yeah to make them more lifelike and yeah. then try to mimic the the paint schemes and the you know they were they were the commercial was definitely chasing commercial side was definitely chasing the the actual you know world championship carver side you know there's no doubt there's no doubt yeah um and it's you know when you you look at what's available now and what was available back in uh well, in the 60s and 70s, it's there's been a lot of changes in the evolution of these decoys. And, you know, I guess <laughs> when you think of it, uh, a real purist would want to hunt only with wooden decoys. But, you know, most people can't. Either they can't carve them themselves or to try to accumulate a rig of wooden decoys by buying them. It, it costs you a lot, a lot of money to to buy those, you know, really decent quality wooden decoys. Well, listen, we we I took him over to the store yesterday. I was he we were just I lost him for a little bit, <laughs> and then and then and then we wandered up and down the decoy aisles like just like you know just like kids. <laughs> so what you what you. You tell them what you thought of the store. Well, it was, it was overwhelming to walk in there. <laughs> you go, well, where do you start to look at all the products? I spent some time in the fishing section and looked at all that. And then the clothing section is just, you know, I I, I think you, you have to go in there kind of knowing what you're looking for so you can kind of focus on a zone where you can find the products that you you want if, if not you'll go in at lunch and you'll hear you know all of a sudden you'll hear the store is closing in five minutes and you're like oh whoa i've been here all day <laughs> yeah it's pretty awesome well, we've always enjoyed having about every stock of decoy that we carry out and open yeah. and in the store where we can see it and touch it look oh, at that's it. a good question right there so we were talking about this earlier so your your paint or i'm sorry your wood what is the wood of your choice because a lot of different guys have different that's been a the just like everything else that's been an evolution for me right. and i think the first first competition decoy i think i made it out of cedar and cedar for a hunting decoy is a fantastic that's probably one of the best woods you could ever use for, for a hunting decoy but for the decorative decoys really isn't uh, that isn't the best because it's there. a soft wood well Horrible. it has a lot of green in it it does have a lot of green yeah and it you, you it doesn't uh, you know to put fine detail it's yeah. not nearly as good as some of the other woods and correct the next wood i used i believe was um uh, pine and there's some actually white pine really nice white pine that doesn't have knots in it is actually a pretty nice wood to work with uh and then a traditional wood that a lot of wood carvers, not just bird carvers, but other wood carvers use as basswood. Yes. So I use that for a while. That always comes up. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the standard the always, always talks the, about. The problem with basswood is it's really quite heavy. And also you, you often can't get it in big enough pieces to make uh, a, the body of, say, a, a mallard. You, you could be very difficult to find a piece of wood that big without laminating it Correct. and when you laminate uh, a piece of wood for a, a decoy like that and if you're putting detail in it you're always dealing with a seam where you've laminated it which is always creates some kind of an issue uh, and the wood is is heavy so for a decoy that's going to be floated in the water even the decorative decoys you have to hollow them so that presents another then you gotta uh, you gotta figure out make it ride right well that's that's that, you uh, know there's your once you hollow it out yeah yeah that's that's definitely uh an ex, ex there's extra work involved in hollowing it and then doing all the other stuff and then 
and then of course sealing it back up together. But the wood I use now, and a lot of the carvers have transitioned to that, you know, quite a long time ago actually, is uh, is Tupelo. Right. And Tupelo, uh, it grows in cypress swamps in uh, uh, southern Louisiana or, or Mississippi and also, there's a there's some that's growing along the east coast, like North Carolina. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, there's some North Carolina Tupelo. Um, the advantage of Tupelo is you can get really, really big pieces of it. Gotcha. So you can do you can do very large birds. Uh, or a whole right or whatever a whole scene or whatever or whatever you need to do. Well, uh, I know a carver that made a, a a life-size bald eagle out of one big chunk of wood. Wow. He didn't have to laminate anything together. It was one piece of wood. And uh the other thing is it's really really light. So normally if you get quality tupelo, you don't have to worry about hollowing it to make it float properly. Uh, you might have to put a keel on it, maybe some lead ballast weight to adjust the flotation, but it'll be plenty buoyant. Right. So that's the that's the main wood I use for uh, uh, to this day uh, for. And then paint, like when you're painting, uh, I mean, is there any secret paint you're using? You don't need to give well, away your secrets, but no. is there is there just like a type, like uh, not a brand or so, yeah. or but just you know, is it a lacquer yeah. paint? Is it yeah. a? No, I, well, there's two main types of paint that decoy carvers use there's the oil paints and there's the acrylic paints those are two main things and a lot of the difference there is with oil paints it's um uh there's a uh, when you apply oil paint to a surface like that as it cures there's chemical changes that happen that sometimes create patina so the color actually changes over a long period of time which in, for some styles of uh decoy carving that's actually a good thing right. um the paint that i use is acrylic paint and the, the what happens with that paint as the paint cures it's a physical change basically the water evaporates out of the paint and then it, it cures into a, a a hard permanent surface right. so that there's really in the the application of the paint is quite different between oil and acrylic paints um, and it, you know i could talk for hours on the difference between uh, oil and acrylic paints and and all the techniques that I use to paint uh, with acrylics but uh, uh, I um, a lot of it's uh, layering multiple thin applications of paint over the surface to build uh, uh, depth in the color one thing I do with my more decorative birds is um, build paint so that I, I get create the illusion of translucence. I try to make it look like you see through layers of, of feathers. And if you look at a feather on a real bird and uh, you hold it up against a, a light background, a light source or something, you can see how translucent it is. So if you're looking at a real duck, you're actually seeing layers through, of paint right. or layers of feathers. So you're trying to get that exact I'm right. creating the illusion that you're seeing right. that. Right. And so it's just kicking my level of my paint up to a higher level by painting the illusion of light and also translucence. Right. I, I was just gonna say I was just gonna have I just gonna have Pat go through like because I'm sure you know just like you're trying to get more people into waterfowling you know you want to get more people into carving and into that tradition and 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 so if if somebody wanted to start like like. Like the only thing that I would say is, you know, there's a ton of stuff online. Get some pattern books, you know, do your research. So for someone who doesn't know what a pattern book is, can you so, explain that. So, so yeah, so like say, say, uh, like Pat's made a couple. Uh, I don't know how many, but how many oh, I made four different pattern books. So only one's available. The other three are out of print, but <laughs> but I have one available and. Yeah. So a pattern book is is I want to I want to carve a a mallard. So Pat's got a pattern book. So you open up the pattern book and, and there it is. It's the size. You could cut it out or make a photocopy in it and put it on the piece of wood and draw the out, the outside pattern of what you want to look like and, and, and all the detail from the top, the side, the head, everything. So, so yeah, the pattern is the groundwork. Yeah, and it's line drawing with pattern um, or feather patterns marked on it. Um, it's got the, the side view shape, the top view shape, 
and it's all uh, all everything's measured out so yeah, you know I, like i said exactly I make, I make those patterns on a drafting table so everything lines up real nice so you know when you cut your bird out and you start to use the pattern everything should line up real nice um you know so there's there's a, a lot of resources out there right now to learn how to carve a, a duck decoy and there's a there's a there's a facebook page decoy carving forum uh, you could join that, and there's all kinds of people. You know, if you have a question about something, everybody's willing to help you. It's a very, it's a very awesome group of folks that are willing to help to keep the tradition going and stuff like that. Uh, there's uh, what's the magazine? Wild Fowl Carving. What yeah, Wild Fowl Carving Magazine. That you magazine. Know, I've been getting that magazine since whatever. Yep, it's you can subscribe it's incredible. To that. Yeah, you can. You know, they have every issue. They have technical articles on you know, somebody shows how to do different things with different kinds of birds and uh, uh, they'll sometimes feature a, a carver and show their work and uh, it's pretty so, incredible that book and, or the, the magazine yeah. and there's there's uh, there's qu quite a lot of carving shows too yes you can go there and get inspiration by looking and seeing what pe people are doing and uh, and again those people at these carving shows everybody's willing to help if you got a question about something and you can also pick up all your tools there yes they'll have dealers there selling yes. all the different tools and uh, painting supplies yeah. uh, and they're they're very willing to help you because yes. of course they want to sell you the sure. products but they they want to direct you in the right yeah, they're, they're not so that you get the right. The that's right. right. Things. They're not trying to sell you something that your level's not ready for. They're trying to get you into it so you build and go. There's Absolutely. No, and Absolutely. you know, and the, the cool thing about it is, you know, the thing that I always used to do is it was always an off season thing for me. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do all summer? You know what I mean? You know, drive everybody crazy. Like, work the dog. You know, what else are you going to do? I was always, I was always working on decoys. Always, that was always my thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a uh, somebody asking a question about an airbrush. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you do you use an airbrush? Well, I do. I do use an airbrush, but it's just one of several tools I use to blend my paints. And uh, it's um, there are some uh, some areas where an airbrush is just incredible tool to have. <laughs> no doubt. And there are other areas where I purposely avoid using an airbrush because I I don't want to say an airbrush look so I have other methods that I use to blend yeah. the paints yeah different tools for different jobs absolutely you know, you and know. it's you know to I don't like to become reliant on one method or uh you know I and I'm always experimenting with different different things even up to this day I still try to find different ways to do things yeah uh there like excuse me they said he's uh, Pat's uh, reference pictures all the time. There's no doubt for the flocking and stuff like that. Pat's pictures are incredible. The the patterns are incredible. Gary Gary's asking cost to get started carving. Like, listen, Gary, I got started. You know, I'll just say how I got started. I mean, I I I got all hand tools. That's the easiest way to get started. But now, like, you can get some hand tools if you buy a really good set of hand tools, which are knives, rasps, you know, things mm -hmm. like that, to get a different. Every every tool has something different that it does just buy yourself a big box of band-aids because you're going to use it <laughs> i can guarantee you that so right uh, well i still cut my fingers <laughs> that's why i said so i'm just telling you as a novice as you get started get some band-aids there's no doubt about it but i mean you can get like the the fordham tools and the dremel tools and that stuff is has the pricing has gotten so low on stuff like yeah. that. Like it used to be a couple hundred dollars. Now it's, so, it's so much more yeah. affordable, which yeah. is a, a, the power tools, like yeah. afford Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, the Dremel, everybody I think knows Dremel, Dremel is, but Fordham yeah. is, is a different tool. Uh, it, it's more of a carving based, uh, uh, tool. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I've never seen anybody else use that or even hear that name. Right. Yeah, that's right. Now there's, uh, it, you know, if you, as you advance in carving, there are, there are a number of other tools that Absolutely. are more, cost more, but I'll tell you what, when you get them and use them, you'll wish you had them. A long time ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, some of those little, little, um, high powered rotary power tools we use, uh, 
uh, there's a number of brands that we use. Uh, there's a, the Guess Wine, the Ram Tools. Oh, the Guess Wine, yeah. Yeah, and the Ram Tools uh, to do real fine work with little diamond cutters and stones and stuff. Uh, they they run so smooth. The bearings in them are so good. You know, you can it's work the, for it's the you, ultimate. You can work for hours without your fatiguing your hands gotcha. because there's no vibration in them. Gotcha. You still have to learn to control them. That's part of you know the learning the the, the techniques, the carving techniques. Would you uh, would you say like hand tools and a Dremel or a Fordham something like that to start? Would I mean is that what you would say? Well, uh, well I started with well I started with hand tools, but then the first power tools I had were. The, the bigger Fordham tools yeah. where I could really take a lot of wood off fast. Right. And then the, the Dremel, which gave me a little it's bit small, more refinement right. because right. it was a smaller, more refined tool. Uh, and yeah, then a little, a little burning tool. The burning those, that's tools. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. You can, you can buy burning to tools at, you know, a, you know, a, a, you might say a, a low price burning tool that works great. And then you can get a little bit more advanced burning tools. I love to paint, but I I love I love burning feathers in. I love it. I could sit there all, like people are like, how could you do that? Like you, that's I, I can do that all day. Yeah, I love doing that. Uh, and uh, there, that's that's one of the more tedious things yes. we do. <laughs> but the but like just the smell yeah, and doing it and sure. just I don't know that part to me. I just uh, I don't know. I love doing that part. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you have a ballpark ballpark idea. Oh God, he can get there. he. I mean, he can get into it for two hundred bucks. He can get really into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean the get Dremel started. tools. Holy crap! The Dremel tools at Home Depot or something. You go in, they're hardly anything. I mean the Fordham's a little bit more, and that's that's just bigger. Like Pat said, that's just a bigger tool to get more wood off. Yeah. Uh, but you could use a bunch of those hand tools, and and yeah, I mean, I mean. I, I still use uh, a little draw knife and uh, and gouges and chisels yep. when I'm starting to rough my bird out. Uh, I, when you use those tools, you have to be able to clamp it in the vise because you need to have control with both hands. Yeah, so, you can't. You can't. So, you so, a, so don't do this. No, no. Because <laughs> that's a sure way to use the band aids. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and you you could you could do more than that. Cut your finger off. There's if you're not no careful, doubt. Yeah. Extremely sharp but, um, tools. Yeah, um, so if you're using those tools, those kind of tools, you need a, maybe a little workbench with a little vice on it and uh, you can go to town with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do some research and see what you need and, and, and go for it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, doesn't how much space does it take up in your garage? Well, Pat, I mean, Pat's probably got. Pat's got. Yeah. Pat's got like a shop, like a like a legit. How big is your shop? Well, actually, the wor the rooms I work in, I, I'm the only one that works there, so I don't need a lot of space. Right. So I've got a I've got a carving room, and I've got a painting room because I don't want the dust in the painting right. room. Mm -hmm. So I, I purposely set that up a long time ago, and I don't have a real, might say, a glamorous, spectacular shop, but. It serves its purpose, and I get everything done there. I have mine separate too. My paint booth is bigger, but because you like to get crazy with all the painting, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's always a project that I'm like, oh, uh, let's you know, paint paint my son's like uh, lacrosse helmet, or paint like, or he wants to paint his bike, or whatever. I'm like, I love the paint too, so I'm just like, yeah, let's do it. Hey, paint the boat. I don't think I got room for that, but let me figure that one out. So it's something like that. So yeah. Yeah, there's always a project. So yeah, awesome. Somebody mentioned Jody Hellman there. Yeah, yeah, he's a great carver. Is he? And uh, you know, real, it's a stylized type of carving, and um, has his own unique style. And he, you know, he's he's good. He's good yeah. at it. Cool. Yeah. How's that? How's that for ch People chipping away in, in an yeah. hour? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. See, I talk for a living. See, I, I told you I could yeah. get through. And you think we could get through an hour? Oh, we can get through an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'll draw it out of you like blood. I got you. So for you guys watching, and you can see in front of us are two decoys. These are the live mallards from Final Approach. Yep. And uh, 
Pat over here, he's the one who carved them, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, I love the the detail. And I love the size of them. Uh, we have a I, we were very fortunate. Yeah, the size of this decoy is just just big enough. We don't call it an oversized, but I think it's a great great size. Yeah, there's no doubt. Great look to it. Yeah, yeah. I think we're at about 17 and a half inches right in there, like give or take. You know, so a couple yeah. different one depending on what bird you yeah. right right. So I'll just say we're we're just shy of 18, so we're right in there. So, so yeah. you're talking right from the tip of the bill to the tip of the tail. The bodies, I believe, are what 15. I think. Yeah. The body length from the breast to the tip of the tail. And I, a, a live mallard, I believe, is maybe closer to 14. So right. just a right. little bit. So just a hair over life size, yeah. let's call it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But good looking on the water, ride nice, look nice. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're just, all we're trying to do at, at FA is just chase Pat, just try to chase what he his dream is of this is what the bird looks like, and we're just trying to reproduce it and chase it, so... We're we're getting better. We're chipping away at it. <laughs> All right. Well, Mario, any any last things? We're good. No. If the, listen, you know, on the final approach uh, side, I mean, you know, go go check us out. Go like us on Facebook. You know, follow us on Instagram. Go to the YouTube channel. Uh, we got a bunch of videos about the products and we're putting stuff like this up and, and the podcasts are up, uh, we're chipping away at some of those. So, I mean, just, if you got questions, go to fabrand.com. Everything's up on the website. You guys at Rogers, you guys have been selling the, you know, a pile of our stuff. We appreciate it. So you could always go to you guys. You guys always throw some great sales on and stuff like that. I mean, the, I, there's crazy sales. So go for it. All right. <laughs> Pat, appreciate it. Yeah, I Pat. love the info, yeah. and thanks for, you know, joining well, us yeah, too, yeah. clowns. I enjoyed talking with you. Awesome. Yeah. What did you think of the, the Missouri duck hunting this morning? Loved it. Like I said, listen, anytime I can get out of the rain, which it hasn't been a very rainy year this year in in, uh, in Oregon, but anytime I can get out of the rain and go clear and cold or f anything in cold, I, I'm I'm in. You just sign me up. So I love it. Yeah, I love it. All right, my final thoughts are: if you're a, if you're really a waterfowl nut, I mean, there's so many things, other things besides getting out there and, and shooting that you can get into. As far as is, you can even put carving and tinkering with calls, Everything. all that sort of stuff. You can really get into uh, all these organizations. That if you're really a waterfowl nut, there's so much more than just the 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 yeah. getting out there and pulling the trigger you know, on weekends and stuff like that. Yeah, so. I mean, listen, we shot we shot five birds this morning uh, between a bunch of us, and guess what? If you told me, hey, we're only going to shoot three tomorrow, do you want to get up? I'd just go, what time? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, don't matter, like, who's going? Someone's going, someone's going. Is the dog going? Dog's going. I'm going. I'm in. So, don't matter to me. All right. I love it. All right, guys. We're going to wrap this up. Thanks for watching live. We got one last question here. Does Pat use clear coat? Oh, actually, the, the acrylic paints I use are incredibly durable. And I get a, a real nice uh, flat and velvety surface with them, and I don't want to alter that with a, any kind of Yeah, no clear coat needed on that, yeah. Because I know the... I know the paint is is very very durable, and even for a hunting decoy, if somebody was going to use, you know, there's some acrylic paints you probably don't want to use, but uh, s some of them are are really very very durable, and you could use them on a hunting decoy, and they would last re really well. But not on a plastic. You'd have to do some <coughs> prep on a plastic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Plastics absolutely. like you know that's next level. You got to do your research on that deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Awesome. This will be posted on YouTube if you want to watch it or on our Rogers podcast or we're throwing it on the FA podcast. Yeah, we're going to throw it up on there too. Absolutely. Cool. All right, guys. Talk to you later.